Hello, friends. This is Iso, and welcome to another episode of How We Work. Uh, so today we have a cool episode with a guy named Michael Moore, whose newsletter I got onto, newsletter called The Millennial American Dream. And it's all about finding your place in the country or the world and society um, for the millennial generation. And I think that it's something that I think a lot about and have some struggles with. Like I'm about to embark on a many months adventure around the world in some ways to like answer some of these questions about like sense of place, where I want to be, what I want to do next, um, to find a place that really feels like I want to stay there and commit to. And I think that's a lot of the issues that he discusses in his newsletter. So I was just super drawn to it. So we had a really good conversation about a lot of different things. If you're feeling like you want more community or looking for a different place to live, he has some like super pragmatic advice. I really appreciated how straightforward he was and how he just focuses on kind of like real world solutions to these questions that sometimes feel very existential. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and I'll talk to you soon. Well, tell me about, so the way that I know about you, the place I reached out to you is through your newsletter that I'm not actually even sure how I got on, but I found it really interesting. So can you talk a little, a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, it's Millennial American Dream. My focus is primarily on urbanism and advocacy to try to help people find a way to make their communities better places to live with a specific focus on the U.S. and the millennial generation, just because we're aging into a time in our lives where we're actually able to have a big political impact just from the demographics. And also, you know, we're all old enough where we're getting established in our communities and really have an opportunity to make things move for the better. There was a lot of advocacy we had as, you know, when we were younger that didn't have as much effect because we were younger. But now that we're starting to hit middle age, there's really opportunities for us to be more involved and really dig in and make things change that we want to see changed. Mm, that's cool, man. It's a nice mission. Yeah. How, how's that been going? It's been popular with free subscribers. It's, I believe, as of today, the number 17 top for all culture substacks, putting it you know, in a good position within the top 20. It leads to a lot of more people signing up at that point. But overall, you know, it's still a, a small venture. It's, you know, in terms of paid subscribers, there's not very many. And it's something that will probably take a number of years to build out into, you know, something that I can walk away from a full-time job. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it seems like a cool thing. The reason I reached out to you and I kind of responded, I, I read one of your newsletters and just I thought it was really well written, just really super on point. And that one was about kind of like sense of place. And it mm -hmm. seems like it's something that you talk a lot about. And it's something that I personally, honestly, have been struggling a lot with for a long time. You know, I've been in the Bay like since 08. So super long time running my businesses and just kind of being here. And I've really loved the experience of being here, but I've felt for a while that like, it's just like not quite right for me. But at the same time, not knowing where to go and also, you know, getting older and feeling like I should really be settling down somewhere. 
it creates a lot of like existential angst for me, honestly. Yeah. And I think it's something a lot of people are going through. Like I was reading the statistic, like 75% of Americans want to move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, like what do you think is motivating that dis-ease with place? I think there's a few elements. One, of course, is, you know, folks are reaching a point in their career or in their age where they want to be more involved in community. And in the U.S. in general, we've not had a good culture in recent times with being able to develop community. Part of that is the overall culture, but part of that is also the built environment. So, you know, but being in the Bay Area, you're in a better position to be in a more walkable area than most in the U.S., There's also other economic issues. You know, cost of housing is so high. Uh, The Bay Area specifically, I was living in Oakland until just a few years ago. Um, My wife and I moved to Austin, Texas, and that was primarily because there wasn't an opportunity for us to buy uh, a home at a reasonable price. And so Austin was the, you know, one of the good choices that matched kind of our career trajectories as well. So we could have a career that we wanted, but also have housing that was a bit more affordable. Now, of course, things have gotten more expensive in Austin because we have systemic issues in how we permit and build housing in the U.S., especially dense walkable housing uh, versus suburban sprawl. And so that's that's an element. But also, you know, we, we all have to kind of find our place, whether we move or not. You know, one person can move, but if you're not able to take the time and energy to build community or to even just make friendships, that's going to make it harder no matter where you live. And so it's, you know, there's multiple factors. It's not like, oh, hey, there's one thing wrong with you or there's one thing wrong with society or all that. There's just a lot of things going on at once. And in a sense, this is our kind of millennial um, midlife crisis. Uh, You know, we're, we're realizing, okay, we've invested our time and energy into our careers, we may be established or we may be, you know, sort of established. You know, I know folks are in different places economically and otherwise. Um, but, you know, especially with the the pandemic, I think a lot of us really just are, are looking inside and really trying to say, okay, you know, work isn't my whole life. I want more than work. And so folks are finding that in different ways. Some are finding it by traveling a lot. Some are finding it by deciding on a new place to live or a new place to uh, build something. And I think a lot of folks are also looking to build community. They they may have liked elements where, you know, during some of the crisis, you know, people were able to come together. A lot of people were turning their front yards into more like a backyard where people could hang out at a distance. So I think with glimpses of that, they realized people were hungry for more than just the same old, same old interactions that we have in the U.S. And really going for something a bit deeper and being more personable with your neighbors, being more personable with other folks, doing more in your community than just chatting, you know, organizing or or putting together events and other things. And I think that's normal for folks at our, our age, but it's it's been accelerated through the things we've been through. I do wonder how much it's been accelerated by COVID, like you're saying, mm-hmm. like people, one, having time to maybe start to know their neighbors but like from a distance like you're saying but also just realizing like how important community is right because yeah. it's almost it's almost like we've been proud of the fact that we're not stable you know or I'll speak for myself like almost proud of this fact that we're kind of like independent and nomadic and you know like no one in the bay area is from the bay area and no one stays in the bay area there's this definite feeling here like everyone is kind of on the move all the time And 
the ability to do that, like having the financial resources or like the job freedom to do that is almost like a, it's like a, it's like a badge we wear. But yeah, like you're saying, it feels like we're getting to an age now where that's starting to feel a little hollow. And it's a struggle in some ways to, to start now, right? Like, have you, like, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the newsletter? Like, do you get a lot of people who are kind of communicating with you in the way that I'm communicating with you? Like, oh yeah, dude, you're totally right. Like, fuck, man. I think in the community building side of it, it, it does resonate with a lot of people. And, you know, the emphasis I try to have is like, just do the best you can. Really try to get out there, try to make friendships, try to meet up with people. If you have a, you know, a personal thing that you're interested in doing to improve the community, try to do those things as a group rather than just as an individual, because you're going to get more traction. If Even if it's two or three people, you can give yourself an organization name and you can get more, more done with local elected officials than you can just as an individual. And of course, you know, hopefully that grows into even more than that. But even something as simple as just having a, a you know, uh, a community that you know, is able to host events or is able to do things uh, as a group is helpful. And, you know, the simplest thing is pick an activity or host an activity and do it regularly, you know, once a week or, or, or twice a week, something like that. It's on a regular schedule so that people know when it occurs and they can meet up and do stuff. It's going to be, I think, a little different for each individual, depending on what your interests are and what, what you'd like. But it could be as simple as a book club uh, or, you know, a, a physical activity like a run club or a biking club um, really depends on what your interests are as a person. And, you know, doing something with others is a great way to kind of fill in the, the lulls in conversation, um, but still leave that opening for, for having conversation. And then that, that depth is built over time, you know, so it's like, you know, we all think back to when we were in high school or, or college and we think back to friendships there fondly. And a lot of that is because you had long stretches of unstructured time to spend with your friends. And so we have to try to recreate that as best we can as adults, um, you know, in a way that's complementary to the lifestyles that we've built. But there's also some things we may need to sacrifice in order to prioritize friendship and community. Mm. It's almost like we are trying to overcomplicate it, right? The suggestions you're making are so simple and so right on and so old school that I think people just brush over them, you know, like start a small organization that does something that you're interested in doing. Like you don't mm -hmm. need like a lot of like technology mediating it. You don't need to come up with some huge grand plan. It doesn't have to be a business. Like that's yes. something I was thinking about when you were talking is like, so I've done I own this business Forage SF and I used to do like underground dinners and organize like big food markets. And so like my kind of whole thing was like big events, bringing people together almost to fill this need, I think in me, honestly, of wanting to bring people together. But it was and always has been kind of like mediated through business, mm -hmm. you know, and I wonder if that's something that we struggle with, too, because like kind of generationally, we feel like any idea immediately becomes a business. Like if you're not selling something to someone that it kind of have, has less value. Yeah, we, we all got pulled in by the hustle culture mentality. And yeah. some of that was by necessity because we, we dealt with such a big economic catastrophe. And right at the beginning of many of us, like for me, it was right at the beginning of my career. So basically my career stagnated for, you know, nearly a decade before I was really able to, to get going where, where I'm at. Uh, today, 
And so, yeah, that the hustle culture really, I, I think, was helpful in the moment, but is something that we kind of have to rise above if we're in the position to do so. Of course, if you're still struggling to make ends meet, of course, you know, you got to do what you got to do to to get money in your pocket. But, you know, yeah, not everything that's valuable will will have a dollar attached to it. That's that's only one part of life that that shouldn't be the whole thing. Yeah, and I like your suggestion of starting a political organization and giving it a name, if, even if it's just a couple people. Because it does feel, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people feel, and I do too, like, I just don't get involved in politics. I'm just like totally tuned out, mm -hmm. which I know is not the most responsible thing. But honestly, like, I can't live any other way. It's just like too much. Yeah, I've, I've kind of checked out of following a lot of politics. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not big on following politics anymore. I, you know, stuff gets through because I listen to NPR and other things. And so... You know, that stuff, I, I hear about it. I know there's a new Speaker of the House and all that, but I'm not like, I used to follow news really tightly and I just, I emotionally, I can't take it in the way that I used to be able to. I'd, I'd rather be able to live my day and then check in on the news maybe once a day or once every two days and kind of just to inform myself, but I try not to get as emotionally involved. But I find that, you know, if you're doing things on more of a local level that can have immediate impact in the community, I think that's that's going to be where the value is. Um, in, and of course, if something's big and you need to organize for a, a national or state level issue, you can as well. Um, I was inspired a lot by what Sonia Trous did um, with the first Yimby organization that she started. She basically just went to a meeting, came up with a, an organization name. Mm. Um, I wouldn't recommend if it's just one person, uh, but she did do that um, just because I've heard from as feedback on some of my writings that, you know, uh, a lot of the local local folks get really annoyed by people who make up organization names. But I think if you're more than one person, <laughs> it, it makes it a little easier to, to make the case that you're an org. Um, and yeah, you, you, can, you can show that there's people interested in what you're doing. And it, it can be something as simple as just like neighbors on, you know, whatever the, your street's called or whatever your cross street's called or whatever your neighborhood's called. It, it, you know, and it can do more than just politics. It, it's not all about being all politics all the time. You can host block parties. You can do different things. It's about creating a better community as the goal rather than politics is, is how we achieve things that we want to achieve that need to be done at a governmental level without violence, for example. You know, like if you don't have, if you don't have politics, you end up having, you know, people beating each other up. It sucks that, that politics is, is terrible, but it's kind of the least least terrible thing of the available options. And so definitely, you know, it, I think it's important that we, you know, we live where we live and we, we care about the places we live. And so I think it's best for people to try to help improve those spaces. And a lot of folks in this generation, you know, the folks who read my, run my Substack and otherwise resonate with the ideas of making communities more inclusive, building more housing, making housing less expensive. And really it's a problem that is at such a crisis level that we have to solve it from every possible angle. It's not about, okay, this is one ideology that will solve the problem. It's like, okay, this problem is so deep and so entrenched. We need to try to attack it from a hundred different ways to make mm -hmm. things better for folks. Yeah. No, I think that's smart. The way I kind of think about this stuff is you only have so much energy, mm -hmm. right? So if you spend, you only have so much emotional energy. Yeah. And if you spend it worrying about the presidential race or you spend it worrying about the other kind of sensational stories that you get fed every day, mm -hmm. you don't have the energy to do anything else. You know, like you don't have the energy to start a small group or to start your own business or to kind of like, like affect change 
that you actually can affect the things straight in front of you. So yeah, I think it's a really good approach. Yeah. And you know, people are getting burnt out, especially with working long, long hours for so many years. We, we have to kind of take a step back and figure out individually what works for us to prioritize. And, you know, even if you're, you're getting involved in community, it doesn't mean you have to be the leader. Someone who is, is motivated and has the energy will do that. But if you're not in that position to be the leader, it's okay. Just being involved is enough. Um, but if you do have the time, energy, and drive, being a leader is also a good option. It really depends on where each person is in their individual point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be pretty overwhelming trying to start something, right? Like I remember hearing about the Yimby woman when she started and I was just like, just the power of personality that that woman must have had, like show up at that meeting and all the homeowners are yelling at her. And she's like, no, dude, like build more condos. <laughs> you know, I was really I was very impressed. You know? She was in the right place, the right time, yeah. you know, for herself yeah. emotionally and, and being able to kind of have that strength to push through. And, mm-hmm. you know, the floodgates kind of kind of followed after. But, you know, it's not just the first person. It's also the second, third, fourth, hundred, thousand. You know, the people who who get involved and are involved are just as important in, in taking these from a single person idea to movements politically. What have you seen kind of like trend wise from your work on all this? Like, you know, there's this feeling like people are leaving cities, especially with a lot more remote work and moving mm-hmm. to these smaller places or kind of smaller cities or more livable cities. Like, does that feel like a true trend or was it like a COVID blip and it's not happening? Well, based on what, based on the numbers I've seen, there's a demand for walkable communities that's not being fulfilled through most housing construction. Though here in Austin, we are seeing some suburban housing construction like Goodnight Ranch, which is closer to that ideal, smaller lots, you know, taller buildings, townhomes, apartment buildings, and retail kind of all put together in kind of a, a suburban village, you could say, where everything's within, you know, 15, 20 minute walk. So I think we're, we're moving in that direction. I would say for people who are inclined to live in a urban area, whether that's a big urban area like a New York or a Chicago or even a smaller urban area like a, like a Syracuse or a Utica or, you know, Davis, California, any of those types of places, like it's okay to move where you feel like you'll be able to walk and get around and, and get about. And if, if you're feeling your mental health is hurting by having to drive everywhere or being stuck in a suburban area. It's okay to move, but just make sure that, you know, when you make the move, you, you take those efforts to make friendships and do other things. And, and you pick a place that, that fits most of the things you're looking for. It doesn't have to fit everything. And if you're not able to move, you know, try to improve things where you are the best to the best of your ability. Yeah. I think something that a lot of people worry about is the people who will be in the place they move to, right? Like I I can't count the number of people I know in SF Mm -hmm. who have talked about their dream of moving to the countryside and like buying some land with their friends and building some houses on it, you know, Mm -hmm. almost like new school communes. Because I think people are scared, like, yeah, they want to move to the countryside, they want to move to a smaller place, but like since we're so insanely politically divided, they're scared they're going to get there and no one is going to want them there and they're not going to be able to meet anybody. And I feel like that doesn't feel like a super true concern. Like, I think there are good people everywhere, obviously, but like how I wonder how you think that affects people's like mobility. Yeah, I actually wrote an article about this, this concept. And basically, intentional living has been around for a long time. 
And there's nothing wrong with moving out to the middle of nowhere with your friends and trying to make something work, but it will take a lot of time, energy, and effort. And I think a lot of people have that fantasy. It It's something that I remember hearing from from folks I knew in New York City where it's like there's always these people in finance, they, they retire early and they move out to Vermont to own a farm or something, and then they end up moving back to New York after a few years. So mm-hmm. I think it's easy for folks to think about those things. A lot of it is people are just overworked. They're their cost of living is really high and they're trying to imagine a simpler way to live where they're less stressed. And so they think of like, I want to be in a cabin in the woods. And what probably most of those folks need is uh, a vacation in, in in a cabin, you know, like a real vacation, like one week, two week, like, you know, amount of times we don't normally get in the US. And I think that's, that's where that idea comes from. Also, people want to be close to family and friends. And it's part of the grief process of the housing crisis having to move away from your home is very difficult. And so people are trying to, you know, it's like the the stages of grief. Bargaining is one of the early stages and people try to bargain. I see this all the time. There's a Reddit page that's that's called Same Grass But Greener. And a lot of people come on there and they say it's about finding new homes within the same country. It's mostly people in the U.S. looking for somewhere else to live in the U.S. Um, and there's a lot of grief from people from California, like myself, who who find it's like, oh, if I want to build a real life, I have to leave California. And so the first thing they ask is, where can I find a place that has the same weather as like coastal California? And the answer is, you're not going to find it, unfortunately, in the U.S. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like the most beautiful place in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's systemically been underbuilding housing for decades. So it's even if that the building problem is fixed, it will take a few decades to for prices to normalize. And so that's just part of the grieving process that you you have to you know be willing to to try other things out. There's a lot of folks who are doing like the remote working from like an RV. I think it's an interesting way to see a lot of different places, but there are downsides to that. If you've ever watched like Nomadland, you know ultimately you're, there are downsides to to living a, a nomadic life when that comes well, to so lonely. Yeah, you know, and ultimately, and, and there's a chance you could get stuck in the low cost of it and you know basically that you shape your life to fit a low cost with a low income and it, it you end up stuck so there's you know there's things that can be challenging i mean there's people even looking to live abroad with american incomes because things have gotten difficult that's and what I, i'm thinking about i don't blame them yeah um yeah. i mean people are moving to mexico city and other places places that have similar climates to california year-round good weather i think uh, Medellin, colombia is another one just keep in mind that there will be challenges with trying to get the next job or the next gig. And then, you know, you're also living in another country without the proper visas and everything. So there are some challenges that, though I have written some articles on how to live in Canada, how to live in Mexico. And my brother wrote one about uh, how to live in Japan legally with, Mm. with the proper permitting, you know, so there are ways to make it work, but just, just be aware that there are challenges to, to, to making it work over the long term. I remember a lot of folks during the Great Recession just couch surfed around, you know, using that couch surfing website. And that that only lasted for so long. And then then that just wasn't a viable option after a while. So it's great when you're young, but it, it definitely is not a way to build a life and build community in the long run. But, you know, if folks are able to make it work and able to find a life that's good for them, great. You know, I'm, you know if you can find a way to make your life work in a different and interesting way, you know, and it's making you happy and content that's that's a good way to go yeah i wonder how much of this is about like shoulds right Mm -hmm. so like so when you're young 
there are a lot less shoulds. Like I should get married. I should buy a house. I should be settling down. And then you start to get to an age where you're like, by now I should have done these things. And maybe, maybe like generationally, everyone's getting to that age where they feel like, no, I should have a community. Like I shouldn't be bouncing around anymore. But I wonder how much of those shoulds are also a little outdated, right? Like maybe we just are in a different culture now in some ways where like we just do have more freedom and and lives can change. Yeah, I would say if you're looking to rent, it's okay to rent long term. Just make sure you live in a place where the, you have rent control because otherwise you don't have control over your life financially long term if a landlord can indiscriminately raise your rent. Yeah, like they like double rents like month to month in San Francisco. It's crazy. It's immoral. Yeah, that's the downside with renting is that we don't have a lot of renter protections in the U.S. If you look at Europe, a lot of people rent long term. They they rent to the extent that they do renovations in apartments because they have very strong tenant protections. It's it's a different legal structure. And so that's something I would recommend for folks that are looking to rent long term is, is find a place with strong rental laws because you'll be protected more for longer. You don't have to invest in, in owning a home if you don't want to. But if you're also looking to move, there are a lot of places in the Northeast, especially upstate New York, where housing is incredibly inexpensive. It's as cheap as renting, even with high interest rates. Um, and there's interesting things you could do. Buffalo, New York, for example, they've made it legal that if you can buy a house, I've seen houses there for one or 200 grand that are in decent livable condition and sometimes even have multiple units. So you might even be able to rent to a friend or to someone else uh, as extra income. And you are legally allowed to convert any residential property uh, in the city of Buffalo into a cafe or a bakery or a store. Um, so you could turn your front living room into a shop, for example. So live work is legal in the entire city. They've also removed parking minimums. Cool. So those shops can be opened without requiring additional parking. So, you know, when, when people ask, what do I think is the best city for for young people, artists, LGBTQ plus folks looking to make a life and a living, I always recommend Buffalo, New York. You just have to make sure you get a good jacket and some snowshoes because they get the most snow of any major city in the U.S. Yeah, that's so funny because I like I grew up in Vermont mm -hmm. and Buffalo is not I mean, I didn't ever spend any time there, but it's so interesting how over time just the like the way we think about certain places changes. Yeah. Like I, it would have never occurred to me to move to Buffalo and not knock on Buffalo. I don't know a lot about it, but like it definitely did not seem like an up and coming place when I was, when I was on the East coast. Um, it's interesting how these things evolve. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned nomad land and like, I don't want to go too deep down the like mm -hmm. sadness of the American economy, but it almost feels like that. I love that movie. And it almost seems like, that was touching on a different issue, which is like not the desire to find place or to kind of have adventure, but just like a whole generation of people who are older than us actually, yeah, who just can't afford to stay anywhere anymore. Yeah. It's just like so sad. Yeah, and it, it comes down to like politics is necessary at a certain point. If you're not able to afford your your living, if you're not able to, take care of things or build a life, you, you have to be political to, to kind of get a comfort or decency. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot in, you know, rise in unionization efforts or rise in, in people not putting up with a lot of things within the workplace. And that really comes out of the fact that there's not been stability 
you know, employers got used to a certain way of doing things after the recession, and I think people are really fed up with that. It sucks that you can't rely on a job for a career anymore. You have to bounce around every few years to different places. Um, it's not a stable way to live. Um, and it makes things like, you know, if you do want to buy a home or you do want to build a community, very difficult because you're constantly changing work and you're, you're, you're working one place, your spouse is working another place, you know. That's a big challenge with walkability because someone has to have a car. You can't walk to work or walk to transit to get to work. And like the Bay Area was always a challenge there because, you know, someone might work in San Francisco and their partner might be working in San Jose. And, you know, it, it just becomes really, the commute becomes really difficult. I think remote work has made that easier, but not every job can be remote. And so, you know, yeah, you have folks on all sorts of lines of work that, that have difficulty and there's just not stability on the lower end that there used to be. So everyone feels precarious, even if you're stable, even if you have a good career and good savings, you feel precarious because we don't have a real safety net, whether that's in housing or in healthcare or in other things. And I think you know, if we're able to build those up in the next few years, if, if one or two states actually gets universal health care, Washington State and New York State are both considering it but haven't fully passed it yet. And so if they're able to make that a reality, I think we'll see a lot of people interested in living in those places just so that they can have that stability. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think that that feels like a lot of it. I mean, I'll speak for myself personally. Mm -hmm. It feels like some of this like dis-ease with really committing to a place has to do with the feeling that I'm not sure what's going to happen in that place. You know, mm -hmm. like in the Bay Area or California, it's like wildfires, earthquake, you know, all kinds of different instability in that goes all the way down to the personal level where like, well, I got this job. It seems like a pretty good job. But if in two years I'm going to have to move somewhere else, if like AI takes my job or, you know, one of the million like global warming raises the sea yeah. levels you know it's like well i i would love to buy a house in the bay but what if sea levels rise mm -hmm. and then my house is underwater what if the economy changes and i don't like this yeah. but it almost feels like it's better to not commit at this moment mm -hmm. there's so many things that you know we can't predict mm -hmm. and obviously we never could predict everything or anything but the best skill right now is like being a generalist who could yeah. like move in a second. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, but, honestly, yeah. you know, if for folks who have concerns about global warming, uh, I would just say to them, you know, your, your best bet is buy an inexpensive place in the Rust Belt that is close to the Great Lakes. That tends to be the best place based on current models. And you won't be so overinvested that even if that area ends up not being the best place, you don't have all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that tends to be the, the, the best looking option. So that could be, you know, in Minnesota or Wisconsin, Illinois, um, Indiana, Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, or New York. Um, and you kind of pick your state based on, you know, if you have particular, if you have safety concerns due to politics, then pick a state that has better politics, you know, upstate New York's a good choice, but also, you know, I hear Minnesota is a good choice and Chicago is a good choice. For, for those types of things. But yeah, there's there's a lot of options in that area in terms of relatively low cost housing that will allow you to kind of get a foothold, build stability, but also if you're not buying a million dollar home on the coast, you know, you're buying something inland that that has clean water supply and in some cases has nuclear power, which is, you know, as much as it has its challenges, it's one of the best ways for us to have clean power going forward. 
to reverse carbon production. Mm-hmm. Man, I love how pragmatic you are. Like, because when I, I think about these kind of things, I think about like, oh, like, what is the, you know, psychological and emotional impact of 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 feeling so unstable to to the American population? And you're like, well, this is like, if this is something you worry about, this is a place you can move. This is something you worry about. This yeah. is somewhere you could go. Like, I like it. Maybe that's why your newsletter is so good and why you are doing the newsletter is like, okay, there's all these questions everyone has. Everyone's feeling like, they're not sure what the answer is to all of these things, but it seems like what you're trying to do is like, okay, like let's break it down. Okay. You don't have community. Like, okay, st- start a weekly book club. It's like, oh, that's like a great first step, you know, not overwhelming. Worry yeah. and fear kind of can eat away at you and it's not productive. You know, I still feel worry and fear. I'm not immune to it like anyone else, but it's not a productive emotion. And so I try the best I can that if I feel those things to try to you know, think like, okay, what, where, where's my unease coming from? You know, where, what is ways that I can, what do I have control over and what do I not have control over? I mean, every, every faith in the world has ideas about how to deal with fear and unease in uncertain circumstances. And so whether or not you're religious doesn't matter as much, but we still need to find a way to, to try to deal with that unease as best we can. And I've gone through a lot of, you know, emotional stuff in my life that I've, thankfully gotten to a place where I'm very much more on stable ground than I was earlier in my life. And so I'm able to have empathy for, for other people going through those difficulties in a way that, that I hope can, can help them find a way out of that. I'm also a practicing Buddhist, so uh, that's something that's helped with kind of my overall anxiety levels and bringing them down quite a bit. Uh, I do vocal chanting. Uh, I try every day. I'm not always successful, but I try to to make it a priority every day and mm. that helped about getting into that do yeah you just I, do it on your own or like because i'm i mean the the ideas in buddhism definitely speak to me in a, a very real way yeah there's different uh, belief systems within buddhism one that i follow is a is a japanese uh, organization called the soka gakkai and the idea is is you you chant every day um nam myoho renge kyo um, and it's basically the japanese translation of the title of the lotus sutra uh, and I find that the act of chanting, it helps calm you down almost like, you know, how a cat purrs to kind of help itself heal. Um, I, it feels like that. So, but there, you know, there's other beliefs and other, other religious systems that I think can be helpful for people. I don't think that one religious belief or even spiritual belief of any kind is the one true path. It's really up to individuals to find the best, but overall, if you can find something that helps you to, you know, uplift yourself and also uplift others around you uh, in a positive way and not create negativity or not create ill will towards others. I think that's usually a good path. Yeah, Very well said. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting as you start to read about different belief systems and different religions and like different historical traditions, there are like some through lines that you see. And it's interesting. Singing is one of them. Mm -hmm. Like there's something like inherent in us that, and often like singing as a group, like come together, sing as a group, it, it connects you in this, in this kind of like really deep, emotional, like non-psychological way that, yeah, I feel is really powerful. Yeah, I mean, why do we sing to babies? There's certain things that we do in certain contexts that we may not do in other contexts, and there's insight in that. You know, it's like maybe that's something, if it resonates with you, it's something you should do more of. If there's a hobby that interests you, 
make the time for it if you can in, in your life where you are in your current place. Try to do more to enrich your life. You know, it's not all about working, you know, too many hours. It's, it's about living life. We're, we're here to, you know, work to live, not live to work, so to speak. As they say, indeed. That's cool, man. I want to talk to you a bit about the nuts and bolts of doing your Substack because mm-hmm. I think it's something that a lot of people are interested in, you know, getting their voice out in different ways. Like, how did you start and what have been challenges yeah, along so, the way? Yeah. So last year I had a Twitter account before kind of Twitter went into the gutter. But <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Twitter's everybody's X, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. X website. But I had a, a popular Twitter thread that reached several million people that was about like, I just kind of broke down like, okay, here's a bunch of cities that seem to be walkable and affordable. It's a format that now when I create it on my Substack, I call it walk affordable, but I had coined that phrase yet. Um, and basically it was just a list of US cities, 55 cities, you know, what's walkable and affordable right now. Some of those cities are no longer affordable, but at the time that they were, and that had success. And so when it looked like Twitter wasn't going to be around sort of this time last year. I started, I took that post and put it onto a Substack so that I'd at least have an archive of it and then kind of left that be, put it on some other posts that had moderate success, archived them as well there. And then in the spring, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I have got a lot of ideas in my head. I'm bugging my wife a lot about these ideas. So I'm just going to start writing them down, you know, start by just taking notes about a topic and then, you know, fill in the gaps accordingly. And, you know, you kind of stack up a lot of different ideas and, and, and build them out. And so if I'm low on ideas, I might fall back on doing just like a walk, walk affordable list. And, you know, when more ideas come, I'll, I'll kind of write them down and flesh them out a bit more. And so mostly over the last six months, I've been able to write, you know, once every weekday, not completely hundred percent. There's been some times I've missed the days, but I, I try to keep that muscle going as best I can. Mm. Do you release them every day? I try. Uh, I'm not always... That is an aggressive schedule. Good for you, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've experimented with different schedules. I I tried to do one every single day. That was too much. The weekend managing the the weekend stuff was not something that I enjoyed doing. Um, I've done some weekend stuff more recently because I've missed some weekdays just to kind of fill it in. But uh, I try to to keep a Monday through Friday uh, schedule and uh, have it... um, posted in the mornings. Um, it's sometime between 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central. It seems to be successful in terms of views, but um, I've experimented every once in a while with other other timings also. Mm. How much time do you feel like that takes you in a given week? If I'm thinking about an idea, sometimes it will be a, a more fleshed out idea. Sometimes it'll be a more casual idea. And so I'm usually able to write out an article. You know, Sometimes I'll put something into notes and it'll sit sit there for for a while but i'll usually be able to write out an article in about an hour or two if i'm able to really you know think about it fully and kind of fill out the extra details Mm. yeah yeah i mean i i I really enjoy writing and have ideas and post you know essays and blog posts and Mm -hmm. stuff and i'm just always amazed by how much time it takes you know, yeah. like you write some little yeah. thing and it's and it's writing it, but then the editing and you know, just all the cross checks and everything. If I um, do anything with outside sources, it takes significantly longer. So I try to mm. balance and do only a few, like one or two articles a week that requires more in-depth research and then try to do ones that are more kind of op-ed style. Like this is just an opinion I have of kind of 
different things, and those are much easier to, to churn out, essentially. So it, it tends to look like three articles that are more opinion, and then you know one or two that are that are more in-depth research. Mm. And how do you promote? Like, how uh, did I get on your list, I wonder? Yeah, I used to post on Twitter that, and then I, I once Threads launched, I, I moved uh, over to Threads exclusively and promote there. And then I'll also promote, I have a I have an Instagram, but that's private. So that's, I just promote with friends and family if I have a success or something else there. And then beyond that, I don't do much. You know, once I was able to get a lot of folks, I, there are some discords that I follow where I've posted. I've also posted stuff on Reddit as responses to other posts. And it's just built up over the last six months. It's resonated with people, I think. And a lot of folks are are, are on Substack and are reading and signing up. And, you know, it's found a lot of success with free free readers. It still has a long way to go when it comes to paid users or paid subscribers. And so it'll probably take at the current rate that people sign up for a paid account it'll probably take 3 or 4 years for it to be you know kind of like a full-time income so it's it's very much at the baby stages there but i'm glad that my work is getting out to folks and and you know getting out to people all over through the platform i mean substack mm -hmm. is great for getting for being able to manage all of the emails as well as send everything out so it's a great platform there but I still have to experiment to see how I can get conversions higher. Mm. Would you be comfortable telling me your numbers just out of personal curiosity? They're in the single digits. The paid. What about the yeah. free? Yeah. Free, it's over 70,000 readers in terms Good of subscribers. You. And per per post, I hit somewhere between 20,000 and 30,000 people who read that that article the day within the first 24 hours. Hmm. That's a, the, so the thing is, talk a little bit of shop. So like, mm -hmm. I have a fairly large email list, mm -hmm. and it's not as big as your your readership though. Mm -hmm. It has supported me mm -hmm. for like fifteen years. Yeah. Like, if people will read, will open an email from you, like that can be your job, definitely. Yeah. And and so there's a way of thinking about it where you're asking people to to pay to, you know, for premium subscription, which I think is a really great idea and something I haven't personally done, but like it might be valuable to think about other ways to, you know, monetize for lack of a better word, yeah. just the people reading already. And that's maybe that's not, that's not like an advertisement for, you know, Domino's or something, but like, you know, make, if you make something else, like yeah. something that they're interested in that they would want to buy because they already like you so much. Yeah, I've thought know? about other other things like doing yeah. merchandise or your whole business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right now, it's it's an outlet for for ideas, and I think if you know, I think merchandise might be useful. There's a few slogans I've developed on on threads that that might work into having a, you know good on a t-shirt or a hat. But I think overall, it, it's been an outlet for my ideas, and so I'm trying, you know. Trying to see how how far it goes organically before really diving in to try to make it a income substitution fully, because that will take a certain amount of time and energy that is separate from from my uh, day job, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if you got the day job, it would be cool too. Have you thought about like using it as a platform to help people organize community? I've thought about it. I, you know, that's something I need to discuss with with someone who has a bit more experience in in building platforms for sure. Mm, yeah well maybe not even like building the tech for them but mm -hmm. just like suggesting okay like this week is 
book week. Every you know, send me an email if you made a book uh, a book club. Mm-hmm. Right, like just giving people like a little like a little baby push. Yeah, like I've a, done I've like, done stuff yeah. like that with Substack has a chat platform, so I've done some some things there in reaching out to folks ahead of the 100th post. I basically checked in with folks on the chat and on on a Substack with kind of like a pre, I think it was the 90th post ahead of it saying like, or the 95th post saying, hey, you know, what are some things that you've been doing in your community? And then I put all those together on the 100th post to kind of say, hey, here's what people are doing in their community. And I even mentioned things that I'm doing in terms of the organizations I'm involved with here in Austin. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, to switch directions a little bit, because we're getting close to how long I promise you you'd have to talk to me is then this is something I'd talk about for like hours, but we won't talk about it too much. But I want to start asking everybody, how are you using AI in your work? Yeah. So one thing that I do is sometimes when I make a essentially as a like a copy editor. So once I've written uh, an early draft, I might run it through chat GPT to correct spelling mistakes or or grammar errors. I found it's a very valuable tool in terms of speeding things up. When I was growing up, I actually, uh, writing uh, was my worst subject in school. So I found it to be a very valuable tool in being able to take my ideas and really turn them into something that is legible to readers in a faster timeline uh, than I would have been able to in the past. so it, it, I think it's a valuable tool for people when you have a voice and you have ideas of what you're trying to put together uh, to help fill in the gaps uh, and make the language uh, stronger. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a great use case for it. Yeah, I use it a lot in that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like for feedback or to... Yeah. I've yeah. also found it's a pretty good research assistant. It's not perfect. You have to verify things that it does. But for example, if you're looking for a city, like say you wanted to travel to a different country or a different state and you were looking for underrated cities that are walkable, it seems to have a pretty good pulse on what people have said about certain places that goes, that might pull something that's a bit more of a dark horse selection than just looking at raw numbers when it comes to walk scores or other things. So that's something else where, you know, basically you say, hey, what are some underrated cities in Mexico that are walkable and safe and you know inexpensive? And it'll, and maybe even there's a certain, you know, temperature that you want to hit for a certain time of year. And it does a pretty good job of giving you some choices about what to do or where to visit, you know, based on a time of year or other things. So as a, as a travel uh, research uh, assistant, it, it can save a lot of time and energy, especially if you're interested in doing things that are a bit more obscure and aren't just like the top of the popularity list. Yeah, that's really good. So I actually just did that. Mm-hmm. So I I was just down in Mexico for a couple of weeks down in Baja. Yeah. And basically I was like, okay, I want to go down to Baja. I want somewhere by the ocean where I can like swim with some kind of sea life. I want mm-hmm. it to be like totally deserted. I mm-hmm. want it to be in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know? I basically asked ChatGPT all those things. And it gave me this teeny little town of 800 people. And I got to dive with whale sharks. Mm-hmm. And it was like exactly what I was looking for. And it just, it, it was, it was kind of an amazing experience because I could have done all this research mm-hmm. and like waded through a bunch of travel articles that would have talked about really popular places. Like they would have sent me like Toto Santos or something, which I hear is amazing, but like really not where I wanted to go. But instead I found this place that was like a really kind of like locals knowledge kind of place to be. 
And I was really surprised by it, actually. Yeah. So just just like what you're saying. Yeah, it was a really good experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a way to get off of the beaten path. And the 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 newer versions, you know, if you don't have a paid subscription to ChatGPT, you can use Bing. They have a, a chat option there that uses the most up-to-date version of ChatGPT. And essentially, yeah, you can you can do all of that research and it's it's gotten very good. So, you know, I even recommend it for folks if they're looking for a city to match certain needs because everyone's interests are so unique and what their their priorities are, are unique. And just make sure to ask it for, you know, what are the trade-offs? Because you're, you know, any sort of move requires trade-offs. So when it gives you a list of cities to look into more deeply, you know, just make just understand that there will be trade-offs in that process if you're looking for something that's more affordable, for example. But, you know, there's opportunity in that affordability and in being able to build something or, or do something that may not be available where you currently live. Yeah, yeah it's a good suggestion. It's a great use case for it. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm really interested in just starting to ask everybody because I've just been, I mean, I have become totally obsessed, like yeah, trying to like train my own models and everything, a, but just like everyone should be using it. Yeah, it's it a ca- it's a calculator for language. That's kind of how I see it. You have to know where you're aiming for, but it will get you a lot further than you could get by just, you know, if we keep the analogy like doing long division by hand, you know, it's just it's so much faster. You just have to give it a good framework, but it's getting better and better at conversational prompts rather than just having to over engineer with super long prompts. The newer versions, you can just have a conversation with it. And it, it's pretty pretty good at, at getting you where you're trying to go for um, relatively quickly. And the more you play around with it, the more you understand the limitations and the strengths of the, the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Like any technology. So here are some kind of quick fire questions that I've been asking everybody. Mm-hmm. So please just finish these sentences. I love. My wife. I wish I had. Free healthcare. <laughs> That's a good one. I wish I hadn't. So many regrets. Mm. That's a common one. You know, a lot of people have I've talked around those lines. I'm most proud of. How far I've come. I'm most grateful for. The life that I've built. Those are good answers. Cool, man. Well... Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I wanted to leave. So one last question that I want to ask you, and we mentioned it a little bit in here, but like for people who are listening to this and really like these ideas and really would love to start some kind of community near them, you know, really get into this. What do you think is like one thing someone could do today? Talk to your neighbor. That is a good answer and a really good one. I mean, like no one talks to their neighbors here. (laughs) You know, like I lived in a place for like eight years I barely know the knew the neighbors. Copy like an old movie or TV show where people take baked goods to their neighbor. Just do that. No <laughs> one totally. is no one is unhappy about getting a free cake or a free you know plate of cookies. Like yeah, get to know your neighbors. You know you never know when you'll need them. Even something as simple as like, hey, I'm out of the house and I think I left the garden hose on in the back. Could you turn it off or, you know, something like that. It's it, it's okay to to ask others for help and to get to know the people who live closest to you. If you live in an apartment building, talk to the people next door to you down the hall. You know, just get to know folks. It, it's easy for us to sit in our bubbles and watch TV or scroll through TikTok. Talk to your neighbors. Get to know them as best you can because you never know when you might need them. It's great advice. Cool. Thanks so much, Mike. It's Thank great you to meet so you. much. It was great chatting. Yeah, yeah. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>